Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. Miriam and I met in New York City. Uh, at the time, I was Sean P. Diddy Combs' personal wardrobe stylist. And he had just launched a, a female line called Sean by Sean Combs. Penelope Cruz was a face. It was shot by Peter Lindbergh. And he had like a meet and greet, you know, the Anna Wintours and Andre Leon Talley, all those kind of people. And, you know, Puffy always likes to make a grand entrance. So at that time, he, his thing was two Snow White Poodles he had just purchased. And he was like, you gotta go back and get them because we were running trying to be on time and he forgot the poodles. So he shouldn't have never had poodles. So he forgot the poodles. Of course he looked to me, go get the poodles. I run back and at this time I'm weighing like 110 pounds. Anorexic looking just, just sick because I'm working all the time. I got the two poodles under my arm. I'm with Puffy's security guards someone hands like hold the elevator so we can end the elevator and i look this miriam and granted at this time she had a little pixie haircut like really before it was cool to have like short hair she had short hair but i was like damn she's fine i was like all right let me figure this out real quick <laughs> i mean i guess i did kind of oh do you remember what year it was that we met it had to be at least 2005. Oh, nice one. Yeah, okay. at least 2005. Because um, I always kind of like time frame things like, you know, when my, my brother passed in 2007. Mm -hmm. So that was the first time you met my family. It's so like 2005. That's right. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, what did I think of the skinny guy with the poodles? Um, it was just an, a really like elevators, doors opening. And when he says he weighed like 110 pounds, like soaking wet, he really did. And he was wearing a white wife beater, black uh, trousers with a red stripe down the side. So completely channeling Michael Jackson. And it had these two poodles and then flanked by these two huge security guards. And it just was very just... It was jarring. You know what I mean? Just the difference between the security guards and then him and the poodles. And it was just a lot to take in. And so I took it in and then I was like, okay, great. Went up in the elevator. I didn't think really anything of him at all. So I went <laughs> so went into the showroom, saw the preview. I was also there for a client as well. So then I was going through all of the racks and I was pulling stuff. And as I was waiting for somebody in the showroom to write me up, I saw him come into the showroom and start going through the racks, but he then kept side-eyeing me a little bit, and would, I could see that he wasn't really good, he was just shuffling through things. And then he commented on my shoes. Do you remember what the shoes looked like? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. What, what were you wearing? They were little like Indian slippers. Oh yeah, those little like moccasins. Exactly. Yes, I remember that. So those. commented yeah. on my slippers that he thought they were super cute. Yep, 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 um, yep. And I was just like very tickled that he thought that they were cute. And that was basically it. Com 
complimented me. I walked out with my stuff, I'm at the elevator. He then came up to me quickly, slightly running. I was smoothish. Right, smooth. not smooth. And was trying to was get, my get my attention before I left. And he asked if I uh, ever assisted anybody. And I was like, yeah, exactly. I like, I was like, mm, I do yeah, my, my own. My, no, my grandfather always said, if you see a woman you like and you can give her a job, give her a job. And so my, my thing was, I knew if I could get her around me in my area, my space, and see me like regulate, put that over there, do this. I'm a boss, you know what I'm saying? Let me sign this. But how quick. he did it was, he said, do you have assist? And I said, no, not really. You know, I have my own clients. Um, but, you know, his industry was not my industry part of styling. So I was like, I'd love to learn the music end of it a little bit. So if you ever, you need extra hands, totally I'm game for it. And he was like, great. He goes, sometimes I go to San Tropez and this. So we started throwing out like all of these places that he's going and all these people that he worked with, I guess, trying to impress me, which I was totally impressed. I do have to say. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I took his number and it was sort of when people were just starting to text and do all of yeah. that. So I don't was, think I'd ever text. It was 1862 actually. It wasn't 2005, it was 1862. <laughs> I don't think I really ever texted coach anyone. Shut up. I haven't really ever texted anybody. He dated us. <laughs> it wasn't when people really were texting. You, know, you put a little note on a pigeon's foot and kind of like throw them out. So we exchanged phone numbers and literally I think within the next day or something, he had texted me and very quickly then asked um, if I wanted to go on a job with you. Yep. Which was we did the the big and tall campaign, right? We did the big for and Sean tall, John, for Sean John, it was like with Snoop Dogg, Snoop and Fat and, Joe, and yeah. all those artists, and that was like one of the first jobs we uh, we worked together on. But it was, you know, for a long time, it was really professional. You know what I mean? And when I first saw her, I thought she was extremely cute, pretty, stylish. You know, it, it's weird now thinking about it, but when I first met her, I knew I was going to date her. I knew I was going to marry her. Like, it's weird. It's like when I saw her, it was just something about her. I just knew it. And a part of me wanted to embrace that. And, a, and another part of me was like, no, you are not ready for even thinking about marriage or any of that stuff. So let's try to you know get something going first, you know? Yeah. We were, oh, now we're really going to yeah, age no. ourselves. I was 25. I Yeah. 25, 26 maybe, when we met. And I was what, 20? Then you were 27. No, 20. I was older than that. I was older than that. My mom died in 2000. We met in 2005. So my mom died when I was 25. So I was already like 30. So you lying about your age. <laughs> and I was like 28 then. Okay, keep it 100. <laughs> you already kind of like that borderline, you better marry somebody, figure something out, or it might not happen for you. That's okay, you so at. then 2005 was, yeah, was about 22. 28. Shut up. It was, it was 22 and it was springtime <laughs> in New York City and I was going to a play. No. You were 28. <laughs> I was already 30. You're right, because then we were dating for a couple years already yes, and you came yes. to my 30th birthday. Yes. Right. Yes, okay. Yes, yes. So how did we get from professional to dating? We went from professional to dating. We did a shoot in New York City and it was one of the first times I had asked her to go out or accompany me somewhere after work. And Will I Am was DJing in like the meatpacking district at some like industry kind of party thing. And as we were walking through the crowd, it was very congested. And like, we're little people, you know what I mean? We can get lost in a crowd real quick. 
So I remember her grabbing my hand. It was the first time we had like made any physical con contact outside of like, all right, I'll see you next week or in two weeks, give you a hug, kiss on the cheek, you know, something like that. But she grabbed my hand. And I just remember her grabbing my hand, saying to myself, oh, I am about to, <laughs> mm, mm, yeah, it's going down. It was just something different, you just know. And that night was the first time we crossed the line and it was not professional. <laughs> it was professional, but it was professional. So the hand holding was the first time? The first time, the first time she <laughs> held my hand and I just had a feeling, you just you just know, like, it's, it's like, when you're on a date and you're, you're, you're sitting across the table from somebody and that girl says something, but you know you're not getting any. She just give you a sign. I don't know what it is. Like, ooh, ooh my stomach is bubbling. They've been bubbling for the last three days. You, in your mind, you're saying, okay, well, it's not going down. So let's figure something else out. But when she held my hand, I just knew right then and there. And just the way she looked at me, she didn't look at me like, and she, Cause she was always professional, you know what I mean. She was always about her business, always about like this is what needs to be done, yada yada yada. But it's just the way she looked at me. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for a while now. I definitely know that once we started working there together, there was definitely a little flirtation on both sides. There's always a mutual something, but like he said, I was very conscious of keeping it very professional as best as I best as I could. And yeah, there was just something different about that night. It'd been a really long work day. Um, I was really surprised that he had invited me out, um, but it was also cool at the same time because like I said, like that was just not my world at all. And so it was also for me just, you know, a peek inside more of that music world and styling and and so, yeah, I just remember it being super crowded and him, re like, I can actually like see it in slow motion, like him reaching back for my hand and me grabbing. And it was, there was just something about that touch that, I don't know, just sparked, sparked something. And I remember just thinking like, okay, this is, professionalism is out, Damn, the, out yeah, the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, is she gonna call human resources? <laughs> hmm, gotta be careful. But yeah, that's how I went down. So we dated off and on before we got engaged. Um, we dated off and on for about seven years. And yeah, it was a lot of breaking up, but him breaking up with me. And it was just, yeah, it was just so many ups and downs. And it was more so he just not being sure. And I don't know if so much he can answer this if it was he wasn't sure of me. I think that he was sure of me. I think he was very, uh, I think he was scared. I think he was apprehensive. I think the world that in which he worked in and that he surrounded himself were, you know, there's not a lot of stable girlfriends or wives, you know, in that. And so I think it really, you know, he was like one foot in, one foot out a lot of times. He was also very, he wasn't done being a boy either. So he needed to get that out of his system a little bit. And, you know, he would just call me and say, I just, I don't think this is working. I don't think I can do this. And I'd be like, what? really, we're doing this again. We're doing this again. Okay. So we'll do this again. First few times I was like, oh, I'm crying and, you know, just I can't get over it. And, 
is he going to text me? And then, you know, like three days later, I'd get little smiley face or hi, or how are you doing? And, you know, then I would, I'm not answering him, you know, but then like two hours ago, I'd be like, hi, you know? And so it was just, and it would only last for maybe two weeks or maybe like a month or something. But even though we would say, oh, okay, now we're not together, boyfriend and girlfriend, there was always some sort of communication or something like that. When Miriam and I had um, little pockets of breakups in our relationship, it was it was definitely more on me because I was going through several transitional stages in my life. I was a celebrity stylist for a long time. And then I got signed to a record label uh, and had a, a record out and, you know, had a fairly decent big record. And I lost my mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like one day you're behind the camera, you're, you know, directing and orchestrating and styling and putting people together. And then all of a sudden you're like walking down the street in New York City and people are driving by playing your song out of the windows and cut to now you're on stage in front of like 5,000 people and 5,000 girls are screaming and singing and throwing vagina on stage. And you, you know, you're trying not to catch it and dodging it. And then some of it hits you on the head and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm covered in vagina. And you know, you go through that stage of just trying to figure yourself out and what you're trying to, trying to do and what really matters. And I think, you know, um, it's easy to lose yourself. And, and I lost myself and I'm glad that I'm here now. But it took me a while to realize that, you know, at the end of the day, you can have, you know, mild success doing something. I have a lot of success. But at the end of the day, this was the foundation. This was the thing that I needed most in my life to keep my my sanity and, and, and my joy intact. I did try to hold on to her while I was being a boy. You know what I mean? I think a lot of times, you know, with guys, you know, when you, you got a good girl. And you know when you got a girl that's a ride or die chick. You don't want that just to be floating around like a helium balloon. You want to try to hold on to it. So I was trying to dibble and dabble and still hold on to the balloon. Sometimes it got away. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you got to use both hands to do other things. <laughs> um, and you can go with that as, you know, where you want to go with it. But um, but I'm glad that uh, you know I, I, I got to this place. But uh, I, you know, I, I did you know hold her down and it was it was definitely hard on our relationship hard on, on on her you know what i mean knowing that okay all right i love you but i'm gonna wild the fuck out for about two two weeks you know what i mean but i love you you know what i mean and you know. but you know but at some point as a woman you know what i mean you have to take responsibility for yourself and say either i'm gonna deal with this or i'm not gonna deal with it yeah. and sometimes i dealt with it I mean, if I ever found out about something, I would say, okay, I'm I'm good. You know, but then we always found our way back to each other. And then there just came a point in time that I was like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not good with this anymore. I need to, you need to figure yourself out. I need to figure myself out. And I think around the time of that was my father had passed away. We were not together at that time, but still in communication. And he was close with my father. So he had he was one of the first people I called, you know, he came to the hospital, was with my family. And then literally two weeks after my dad passed away, 
I called him and said, I'm going to LA for the summer. I'm getting into a car, I'm driving across country, just letting you know I'll be gone for three months. And that was that. And um, he was obviously like a little taken aback. And then after three months, I decided to stay. And I then, I think he checked up on me or somehow we had spoken. And I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm staying in LA, I'm moving. And I could definitely tell that was a big, big deal for him. And he was like, so you mean you're not coming back? And I was like, no, I'm not coming back. But if you get yourself together, then call me. And if I'm around, then I'm around and we can see and talk. And if not, then then not. And you called and I was around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There wasn't any defining thing that he said or moment that I knew it was going to be different this time. Um, there was just something in his voice. There was just something about him, not to mention him saying, okay, I'm done. Like, I can't, I, the words literally, I remember is like, he goes, I can't function without you. And so we need to figure this out. And so I said, well, okay, we can try to figure things out but I live in LA and you live in New York. So we can talk about it, but there is that there is that thing and I'm not moving back. So either ball is in your court or I don't know, we just have to figure it out. Yeah. What'd you do? Oh, wow. Um, I, I guess the defining moment for me realizing like, okay, I need to figure myself out and just moved to LA. I had a dream. It was more like a nightmare. It's a dream for me. Yeah, for you. <laughs> I was walking down Fifth Avenue along, like you know, Tiffany, Gucci, all that stuff. And Miriam walks out, and she has like tons of bags. And I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, I haven't seen you in years. How have you been? You look the same. You look great. Da da da. What's new? What's new? So, you know that kind of conversation you have with somebody you haven't seen in a long time. So while we're talking. Bradley Cooper walks out of the store and grabs her and gives her a kiss on the cheek and say, hey, what's going on, babe? And he's like, oh, this is a really good friend of mine, O'Neal. We used to be really, we used to be really good friends. And Bradley Cooper is like, oh, nice to meet you. I'm Bradley Cooper. And I'm like, I know who you are. You're a movie star. You're Bradley Cooper. I woke up in a cold sweat. <laughs> My pillow was wet. I was wet. The curtains was wet. I don't know. It was like I had on a, a humidifier or something. I sat up in the bed. I was like, I got to figure this out. There's no way I'm going to let her be in Hollywood and marry Bradley Cooper. I can't, I can't even deal with it. I can't even think straight. At that moment, I realized there was no way I was going to allow her to marry Bradley Cooper. It just wasn't going to happen. Not on my watch. So um, she didn't even know I was going to propose. Like, literally, that next day, I started making the, the calls I needed to make to figure out how to get an engagement ring. And she was coming to New York City. It was around the 4th of July. It was around the, so we had. Right. So, yeah, so we had been dating long distance. And at that point before you were, it was like a good good few months or something. Mm -hmm. Is that what it was? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to give a context. Of, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, 4th of July. I was, coming, of July weekend. I, I was coming. I was going to propose at, in Central Park at the boathouse. She has like toddler fingers, so the rain has to get, get cut down. Like, 
a hundred times. Um, the boat house situation didn't work out. So my really good friend, DJ Cassidy, he was doing his birthday party um, at the Intrepid, which is like a retired warship with like veteran, old retired planes on it. Super amazing, super amazing view, the whole thing. So while I'm trying to figure out where I'm gonna propose, Cassidy calls me up and was like, listen, I'm on top of the ship right now. And the New York City skyline is like amazing. It's epic, you should propose here. He sent me a picture. We went to the birthday party. And around 3 a.m., Cassidy said, we should all go up to the upper deck of the ship and take some pictures. It's going to be dope. So as we're walking, they start to kind of pull back from us. And she started looking back like, why are they not moving forward? And I was like, how long have we been doing this? And she was like, we've been doing this for a while now. I was like, so if I asked you to marry me, what would you say? And she was just kind of like, and she was like, I would say yes. And so I just reached in my pocket. I didn't bend down because my pants were so tight. And I didn't want to rip. I didn't want to have that moment. <laughs> they were so tight. And I remember I gained a couple pounds. It was so tight. I kind of did like a half bend. You kept going up and down. I kept going up and down. Every time I was like, <laughs> got lower, I hurt. And I was like, no, nah, that ain't going to happen. So I was like, will you marry me? She said, yes. Cut two. Her family didn't even know that we were still dealing with each other. So they thought like, okay, you guys dated for a while. didn't work out. And we hadn't seen him in years. Yeah. So, so he proposed fantastic literally literal dreams of that women probably have of this perfect engagement and i'm not one of those women i'm not you know your typical sort of girly girl and i always think about my wedding and you know things like that but he definitely he definitely did that um so yeah my family did not <laughs> my family didn't know and i was and that was very purposeful um, it wasn't to try to be manipulative or to lie to them. I needed to be sure that if he was back in my life, that he was back in my life. Cause he just kept, they saw him coming in and out, in and out. And they saw him not being the type of boyfriend that, you know, their sister should have or their daughter or, you know, something like that. So yeah, we totally, kept it hidden for for a while. And so then once he proposed, I was like, okay, well, clearly we're gonna have to gear up to, to do this now. So mind you, my mom was out of town. And since I was in town and my family lives, lived in New York, I was like, may as well do it now and in person. So couldn't because my mother was gone. But then I decided to prolong my trip until she got back so I could tell her in person. So the first people we told were my oldest brother, Joshua, and my sister-in-law, Rebecca. And we went over to their place and told them. And my brother got extremely emotional. No, that's, no, we went over to, we met them at a restaurant. We said that we- Oh, you're right. I'm totally, yes. Yeah. We met them at a restaurant. Yes. No, I'm thinking because I saw them solo. You saw them solo. I saw them solo we before. Them the, we you're met very them right. at this restaurant yes, in Brooklyn. Yes, in Brooklyn, in them. Park Slope. You're totally right. High yes. tabletop. Yes, you're totally right. They sat on the other side of the table like like glaring at yes, us. Right. You know what I mean? And my brother grilled him. But in my brother sort of way, which was very gentle all at the same time. Yeah, he was being a big brother. He was you know being what I mean? Like, yeah. I know you, but I don't know you. Now you're engaged, what's going on? He's a lawyer, so you know what I mean? He was just doing his job. And, you know, I, I, I gave him my whole spiel about, obviously, how much I love her and I want to be with her and yada, yada, yada. 
And I remember them like, you know, him nodding his head and like then going outside and him getting emotional and like giving me a hug and, and like, you know, I was like just standing like, oh God, you know. Cause I never heard of a white person before, you know what I mean? Outside of Miriam, I was like, <laughs> now this white man is crying on me. Uh, I don't even really know how to deal with this, but it's gonna be all right. So I, I felt like I wound up consoling him, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, we get married. I ain't trying to, we ain't dying, you know, we get married. So and it worked out. I love, I, you know, I love Josh, I love Rebecca and you know, you know it all worked out. Right. Her mom is, when you look at the word Jewish, there's a picture of her mom there with like a bagel, you know what I mean? <laughs> she grew up in North Carolina and she has a, a real Southern twang. Like she should be sitting at a cotillion drinking lemonade, a pitcher of lemonade. And so when we decided to go over and tell her mom, you know, we got there, her mom had grapes and cheese and crackers. And I was like, this might be, a, this might be all right. You know what I mean? Got, everybody got cheese and crackers. I'm always down, you know? We walked in, she poured me a glass of wine, gave Miriam a glass of wine. We sat down I remember like, she has these, these two chairs that faces the couch and I sat in one and Miriam sat in one and she sat on the couch by herself and she just crossed her leg. And she was like, well, I'm just gonna tell you like this. I don't trust neither one of you. <laughs> and the crackers and the wine and everything just went down the drain. I lost my appetite and uh, my stomach started bubbling. And she was like, you know, she felt disrespected that she didn't know she felt disrespected. We have a lot of PR to do. We got a lot of PR to do. She felt disrespected because, you know, I didn't come to her and talk to her about it and say, I want to, you know, obviously being that her father had passed, I should have came to her and said, listen, I want to, you know, have your daughter's hand in marriage and yada, yada, yada. But um, we got through it. I think she got a chance really to see who I am as a person. You know, people can always judge and say things about people, but if you don't really know a person, you don't know them, you know what I mean? It's all assumptions. So I think once she got a chance to see me and, and really interact with me and see how how I am as a person, she fell in love with that. And, you know, ironically enough, my birthday is the same as her late mother's birthday. And Miriam's birthday is the same as her late father's birthday. So theoretically, her, her mom came back as a little black guy and uh, she had to deal with it. It took a while for her to uh, see me for me because, you know, once, you know, we're all human. You have to get over that hump of judgment. You know what I mean? You got to get over that hump of resentment. So it took a while. It, it took a, a, a good year for her to start really having a rapport with me that was just warm. You know what I mean? And it was then difficult on our end as well. I'm My mom and I are very, very, very close. Yeah. So with us, it was, she felt sad, you know, that I, I that I wasn't forthcoming with yeah. her. She then understood after a while why I had done what I had done. And I think at the end of the day, she respected it. Mm -hmm. And, but they've really grown to, but I've always said, even when we were dating, I was like, you're my mother. You, you guys are exactly the same. And yeah. you guys are exactly yeah, we're saying, the same. I, They're the same. I'm a, a little Jewish woman. Yeah. Um, deep down inside. <laughs> um, no, we are very similar. You know, I always laugh when we're in the car together, myself, <sighs> Miriam, and her mom. And when Miriam is driving, you tell it's her, Miriam expressions like, I'm so ready to get them out the car because <laughs> we have a very similar personality. We're very judgmental, we're, we're critiquing everything. 
we think really fast. So a lot of times people have to catch up and her mom is the same way. So not, I, I've really grown extremely fond of her mom because I lost my mom almost 17 years ago. And it's nice to have her around when she comes to LA to visit. I really like it. Well, obviously, you know, Miriam growing up Jewish, and I mean, they celebrate Jewish holidays that most Jewish people don't even know exist. You know, when I tell them I'm getting ready to do Sukkot, they were like, everybody like, oh my God, she Orthodox? Like, she's a real Jew. <laughs> like, she's not like a fake Jew, she's a real Jew. Um, the whole Judaism thing was never really an issue with me because even though I grew up in South Carolina, which is a Bible Belt, my grandmother's very religious and my family collectively is very religious. I didn't grow up in a household where we went to church a lot. Maybe if I did, and that that uh, religious aspect was implemented into my life, I probably would have never even converted because I would have been already mentally and spiritually married to being Methodist. But because I was already so open and had so many questions about religion, um, Judaism was a, a natural progression for me. And when I approached Miriam about the whole conversion process and I wanted to do it, Miriam, you know, very fairly said to me, do it for yourself. Don't do it for me. And if you're gonna do it, do it for real. Don't do, don't say you're gonna do it just to make me feel good or to appease my mom. Do it for yourself. And once we got on that page, it was all about how I felt and how this transition in my life and where I was going. And I think for the our household, it created a balance. I love the energy of Judaism. I love you know you know what it what it means to me and, and, and my household and my family. It was, it was difficult for my grandmother and my family to understand because like I said, we're from a small town called Lynchburg, South Carolina. You know what I mean? There are not a lot of synagogues in, in, in Lynchburg, South Carolina. There's a lot of Baptist churches, you know, Methodist churches. So I think once they all got over that hump and saw that, you know, I'm a very authentic person. Everything I've done in my life, even packing my bags and, and, and moving to New York City, you know, it, it, I, I was always going against the grain. You know, uh, um, I was always challenging myself and not being afraid to do certain things. So after a while, you kind of know how that's how a person's personality is. So we just have to ride it out. And, you know, mouth's tough. <laughs> no, it wasn't necessary for me for him to convert. I, I always said to him um, and have said if... Not that it wasn't ever important to me to marry somebody Jewish. I fell in love with whom I fell in love with. And if it was so important to me to marry somebody who was Jewish, then I wouldn't have put myself in the situation to have fallen in love with him. Um, and believe me, I grew up in a household that was, you do not bring home a non-Jew. It's not accepted. <laughs> um, and don't even really bring home a convert. It, it just, you know, just was what it was. So no, so when he brought it to me, I was very, very adamant that he had to do it for himself. I think conversion is a very, very personal decision. And if you base it off of somebody that you love or you're doing it out of love or because their parents, you know, it's gonna make them happy, I think it's a recipe for disaster. I think there can be a lot of resentment that goes into it. I did this for you and for your family. And I just never wanted to be a part of that. Um, but then I also knew that he was gonna take me very seriously, that if I said, 
you need to really, really do this, then do it, that he was gonna, in fact, do it. This is one thing I can say about O'Neill is that when he really does put his mind to something and decide to do it, he does it wholeheartedly. So yeah, I just wanted it to be a personal journey, which I really loved because I got to be a part of it. When he was going through his classes, I went with him to a lot of the classes and then sat with him also with the cantor who did his whole conversion. And it was just a really nice thing to to do together. Um, I grew up in going to a religious school, very, very Jewish oriented culturally within my house. Um, But you know, I had strayed a little bit as I got older. So it was really nice to go back and just sort of reconnect with certain things and have that experience with him. The biggest challenge for me when it comes to dating for like seven years versus being married and having a child, I never realized Miriam was white until we had a child. And uh, reason being, our child is gonna probably grow up considering herself black, which most biracial kids do. And I guess because I grew up in the South and the depiction of households were black women ran the household with the kids and they did things a certain way and and you don't think about it when you're actually in the motion of your your growth and your evolution as a child but you're picking up how mom does something how grandma does something you got to do the baby hair this way you know what i mean the baby if the baby crying you pick the baby up you know what i'm saying if the baby need to be um babysat that was grandma's job or your favorite auntie's job, you know? There was no nannies, there were no, you know, babysitters. So just really understanding that, you know, I think a lot of times when people are in interracial relationships, they love each other, but they don't think about the offspring and how to to cultivate and develop that growth of that individual. So, you know, it's like, I already know, like, even though Maddie is biracial, she's gonna be, black and and how can i balance her uh her social settings and 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 evolution as a person because you know my family lives in south carolina that's far you know what i mean the majority of her family lives in new york but they travel here a lot Mm -hmm. and she has an aunt here a lot so you know maddie's gonna be a little cinnamon wavy baby eating a lot of hummus (laughs) you know what i mean not a lot of fried chicken (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, there, there, there are some concerns, but it, it's part of our growth and, and, and it helps me understand us and where we're going. We were having a conversation the other day that when he has said to me a couple times, you know, I, it was the first time I really looked at you as being a white woman once we had a child, I took... I took offense to it, but I couldn't figure, I couldn't articulate to him why I took offense to it. And then I realized I was taking offense to it because I felt like he was judging me that I wasn't mothering the way that he thought I should be mothering or thinks that I should be mothering or I'm not living up to what his mother, who his mother was, who his grandmother was and you know, his family. And so once I realized why I took offense to it, I then was able to dissect it a little bit. And 
interesting what you said is that I my argument is not so much a black versus white thing. I think hands down, yes, no matter what race you're talking about, there are cultural differences within a household and the way that people are raised. If you want to talk, you know, sort of stereotypically about things, um, I think that exists as well. But I think I keep I keep saying to him, it's for me, what you're saying is not so much black versus white. It's traditional versus modern. And some of the subjects, you know, for instance, he was saying, you know, when the baby cries, you pick that baby up, especially at night. He it was the first time he's like sleep training. Like, what are you talking about? That's such a my, white my life. If that, thing. If that baby crying, you better pick that baby up. You know what I mean? There ain't no the baby crying, and we we'll, we gonna let the baby cry for three hours. And you know what? If she doesn't stop, we are gonna pick her up. No, the baby crying for two seconds. What's going? What's yeah. going on? And, and one know? of my arguments with him was, you know, maybe that you know that's probably what you did in your household. Absolutely not. My mother, it was exactly the same as how his grandmother and I'm sure his mother was, you know, I shouldn't let us cry it out or, you know, sleep train us. She she picked us up. So that that's sort of been the adjustment for us is just I don't think he realized that once Maddie was born how he was just going to relate so much to and remember so much how he was brought up and want to implement that so much into our household versus, which I've taken offense to, versus I've been very much in the mind frame of, I don't really take so much of how I was raised and what was in my household, unless it has something to do with Judaism. I just want to raise our daughter the way that feels comfortable for me. And if that's playing around with, okay, she's finally just now started sleeping through the night and, you know, at nine months she should be sleeping through the night, let's let's discuss this, you know what I mean? Instead of just being like, absolutely not, absolutely not. So that's been our biggest challenge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't think about uh, my childhood and how I was brought up until Maddie got here. You know what I mean? Now I really think about it, you know, I think about, and I remember just very detailed things like my mom did or how she did it, uh, my grandmother, how she, how she did it and the way she did it. And, you know, Miriam is like, you know, I'm, I grew up where if it's if she's a girl, she wears pink most of the time. You know what I mean? And pink barrettes. <laughs> Miriam, like, her favorite colors are gray and black. You know what I mean? So, you know, Maddie sometimes look like the Grim Reaper. You know what I mean? In her outfits. So I'm like, can we just get a little splash of pink? Some pink socks, some pink barrettes, something. And Miriam doesn't know how to braid hair. You know what I mean? And where I'm from, Maddie has obviously a, a texture of hair that's torn between my hair and her hair, you know what I mean? So, we gotta get some braids in there, you know what I mean? Because when she's not out and about, keep that hair braided until it's time to go somewhere and then let the curls flow, you know what I mean? So, that's kind of like an issue. It's just very minute things, but if not addressed, can turn escalate into big things. Because what I realized, I can be bothered by something and not trying to beat her down verbally and chastise her method of being a mom, I then sometimes find myself suppressing that emotion. And then it just builds up. And I'm like, if I see this baby with one more gray, gray something on, or something black on, like she's going to a funeral, I'm gonna have a heart attack. Like, can we get some Minnie Mouse up in here? Can we get some some pink, some pastel? Can we get fuchsia? You know, something. But it's gonna be all right. 
We're gonna work it out. Maddie's gonna get dropped off. I already see it. Some summers, Maddie's gonna you know, have to go down south. Yeah. And just stay down there for like a summer and experience that, you know what I mean? And experience that culture and understand because I wanted to understand that because that made me who I am. You know what I mean? That made me proud to be, you know, who I am as a person. And I think she need that. I think she need to see the balance and imbalance and understand the importance of her, her DNA. It's very hard to communicate with Miriam the things that I want implemented into Maddie's life from obviously based on how I was brought up. Because, you know, everybody want to kind of figure out their own method, their own system. And for me, I think a lot of times um, Miriam take insult to, to, to my critique. But for me, that's the only way I can keep my mom alive is doing some of the things that she did, the way she, I watched her interact with my sister and what made me be in awe of my mother. You know what I mean? I feel like when you when you start to lose certain traditions or characteristics, then those people are, you know, eternally lost to you. And so a lot of times when I say things in Miriam, my approach is always the worst. You know what I mean? My heart is big as outside, but my approach is horrible. And my delivery is probably even worse. <laughs> um, so I think that my method of communicating with Miriam how I would like certain things to be done is never in the best way because I don't know it, it, it just comes out and and, and and I'm passionate about it but I don't really give her a chance to even process what I'm feeling or how I'm saying uh, even more where it stems from you know I think that you know if, if I communicate with her and say hey listen I would like X, Y, and Z to be implemented because it's something that I just remember my mom did with my sister and it it makes me feel a certain kind of way. It's like my mom is in that space because Maddie shares the same birthday as my late mother. You know, my mom died like 17 years ago almost from cancer. She was born May 27, 1950. Maddie was born May 27, 2016. So it was, you know, her energy is there. You know what I mean? So I just want to try to make sure it's implemented in her life. I'm extremely emotional and I have a, <laughs> to put it lightly um, and I have a tendency to hold on to things if I'm extremely passionate about it and it's something that that I feel that needs to get out I'm very communicative like if it five you know within five minutes something he's done has bothered me or something very very communicative and we'll spell it out very clearly if it's something that might be a little bit small and as you know, you learn through marriage and then having a ch child, you have to pick and choose your battles. And I have to learn that I actually have to be a little bit more vocal because I will pick and choose, but then sort of at the wrong times and then everything just bubbles up, bubbles up. And then the next thing he knows, I've just hurled literally things that have happened since two weeks earlier, you know, but a lot of that stems from, which we actually got into a conversation about yesterday, a lot of it stems from O'Neill is, he, he listens and hears, but will not make any sort of adjustments or moves or anything until he's really ready. And that could be a day, it could be two days, it could be months until he really wants to hear something and it really absorbs into him, which is 
frustrating. And so when you say things enough and, and those needs aren't being met, you tend to just not say them anymore. And then it erupts you know, with, with a lot of things. And then that's where the tears come in and, you know, just frustration. And But since having Maddie, I do try to be as communicative as possible um, as soon as I can be. Just because I don't, I don't want that sort of energy around in our household and around our kid. Because I grew up in a very different household. I, I grew up where all I, my parents were married forever until my father passed away. But I remember at one point saying to my mom, I don't understand why you guys don't get a divorce. Like it was just fighting upon fighting upon fighting every single day. And then turned into just not a happy, you know, household. And I just don't want that sort of energy to to be in this house. But I definitely do, um, I take offense to things See, that he's saying. You, you know, the thing about Miriam is I think that, you know, where our communication sometimes is off, I deal with issues at hand. If there's an issue, let's deal with it. Let's talk about it. Let's try to resolve it. I don't create a treasure chest of emotions and backstories of things that I didn't like. I'm very open, I'm very honest. If I'm having issues with something, I say it, whether it's the, the most opportune time or not, I say it and hopefully try to resolve it. She suppressed things. So when you're coming at me and you're upset about something that on a scale of one to 10 is like a two, but your, your delivery is a 10, it's hard for me to gauge that because I don't know the back emotion is actually some shit that happened two weeks ago that we didn't resolve or we didn't talk about. So now you expect me to respond with this, the same level of, of, of intensity or emotion or conviction as you are. But I just forgot the paper towels. <laughs> I forgot the paper. I can go to 7-Eleven. <laughs> I can walk and get the paper towels. <laughs> I didn't know it was. I said something that was, you know, hurtful or whatever she felt was malicious or whatever. But I just forgot to pay for paper towels. Like, like <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? So it's hard for me to come. Like, I can't go back and get that emotion. You know what I mean? And, and she wants me to like, okay, I studied my age now. I'm pretty good. But it take a lot for me to like, I got... Okay, let me get back there. So what are you talking, you know, I, I, it's hard, it's hard. So what do you do? Cause we know this issue, please. Uh -huh. <laughs> what do you do? I mean, I try to listen, listen as, 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 as much as I can and try to emotionally be there for her when she's going through this roller coaster ride of emotions, but it's hard. You know what I mean? It's very hard to communicate with somebody who's coming at you with such conviction about something and you are so emotionally detached from that at this point. And I think that when I'm communicating with her and she see my lack of interest, it only escalates even more because why are you not taking what I'm saying to you serious right now? And I'm just in my mind like, the walking dead is coming on in two <laughs> minutes. And if I miss Negan hitting somebody in the head with a baseball bat, <laughs> it's gonna be a problem. So right now, and I'll tell her, baby, I'm gone. I'm, like I, I'm, I'm gone. 
Like, you know what I mean? Ellen is coming on right now. Like, I don't know what's happening. What you talking about? Can we, can we readjourn this? And sometimes she's so far gone, she can't. You know, you're just inconsiderate. You're not sensitive. You don't care. You know, you know, you just, you have this air about you. And everybody's supposed to cater to you. And I was like, I just want to watch Ellen. <laughs> what's really helpful is as infuriating as he is, because he said he really does just speak his mind and he has no funnel at all. It's just says whatever he wants to say. And sometimes it's really hurtful. Sometimes it's like a little disrespectful. It's just like, whoa, okay. And I know it's not malicious or anything like that. It's just the way that he is. Um, which I've had to get used to. I'm still, after all these years, still not completely useful, uh, used to it. <laughs> but what's great about O'Neill is that it could be an hour later or maybe a couple hours later. But very quickly, he will be able to, uh, maybe I've left or come into the room or whatever it is, and he is able to say, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. How can we now fix this. I did not mean to insult you or to hurt your feelings or whatever it is, but can we now figure it out? Like he very quickly wants to get to the root of it, which is really admirable because I will hold on to something. I will be angry at him for days on end. And I don't even know and what's walk, going and on. And walk around here not the nicest person, like a little bit of an attitude, you know what I mean? And, and he I, is just and, like, and, and, and I think sometimes too, and, I, and if I'm speaking out of, you know, turn or whatever, I think she resents me for, for that. Oh, it's Literally. so annoying. I don't know how somebody I get over, like, just gets over something so quickly. I'm like, what? I get over stuff so, so quick. quickly. I don't harbor. You know what I mean? I just don't. It's not my personality. We would have a knockdown, drag out argument, and literally within 30 minutes, he's like, So, are we going to Chick fil A or are we going whatever it is? And I'm like, I'm not talking. What do you mean? Why are you even talking to me? Yeah, like, I'm not even talking to to me. What are you talking about? Chick fil A? (laughs) I'm not even hungry. I don't even want to eat with you. Like, no, we're not going to Chick fil A. And I'm like, I'm sitting there like, Or he'll go like this. He'll say something, we'll argue. I'll answer him with an attitude or whatever, and he'll go, What's wrong with you? What what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. What do you mean what's wrong with me? <laughs> that whole other that step, starts, the whole that other a whole, argument. That's a whole new <laughs> argument. So now I'm sitting there like <sighs> But yeah, you know, she she gets so worked up and, and, and it's just hard for me to revisit an emotion about something. You know, what it boils down to, I've gotten over it and she hasn't. And I found closure and she hasn't. And what I'm trying to do within our relationship now is find closure at the same time. Because if you don't find closure at the same time, somebody's going to be mad. Somebody's going to be resentful because you're looking at this person acting like nothing ever happened. And I'm still emotionally stuck in that place. So it's like now I've learned like as draining as it can be. I got to listen to the whole argument. I got to listen to the whole thing and try to meet in a middle ground of reasoning for her and for myself because you can try to overcompromise 
and be mad at yourself because you just overcompromised. Right. So I'm trying to find the balance and the imbalance in that and communicating with her because she is super sen uh, sensitive. And I grew up in a household, if you're crying, you didn't get hurt. So you better hush those tears up and straighten your face and say it so I can understand. It better be audible. You know what I mean? She's from, I don't know, <laughs> the land of tears because <laughs> she'll be crying, trying to express something to me. And I can't, no disrespect, I can't even take it serious because my mom was like, hush it. If you want something, you know what I mean? Wipe those tears, tell me what happened. You hit me in the head and I fell down, you know what I mean? All that mumbo jumbo, no, I don't get it. I'm like, Psh. and it's hard because she's really being authentically who she is. And I've learned now, and I'm learning, I, I, I say learning how to accept that. And it took some therapy, it took some counseling to, because I'm a ball buster, you know what I mean? Like I'm tough and, and, and I feel like I, I had to be, you know what I mean? And just growing up and just the, the choices I made in my life, I made a lot of choices by myself and there was no handbook or guide or somebody saying this is how it should be done. So when you when you grow up like that, you have a, like a military mentality. You know what I mean? There's no crying in boot camp. You know what I mean? So my favorite thing about being married to Miriam is her 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 heart is just so big. She's so generous with her time. She's so generous with her love. From day one, she's just been a cheerleader and a supporter of my wildest dreams. She never approached me with doubt. You know what I mean? I always think about where I've been and where I'm at. When I, when I was living in South Carolina, I was dating a girl and I told her one day I was gonna know Usher. And like, growing up in South Carolina, I was like, you know, outlandish. And she looked at me and I'll never forget. And I always kind of mentally carried it with me. She said, why do you think out of all these people in this town who have dreams, God is gonna allow you to have your dream come true and be friends with Usher. And I started Usher 8701 Project. I became extremely good friends with Usher. And I, you know, I still had contact with her. And at the time she was working at a hotel and I called her and I put Usher on the phone. <laughs> and I said, Usher, I want you to sing, you got it bad or you don't have to call or something. And I was like, I'm not doing this to be spiteful. But I told you, <laughs> I was gonna know Usher, all right? So with that being said, Miriam, she is, her mind is as, is as vast as mine. There's no limitations, there's no roof, there's no ceiling, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and watching her, you know, as, as much as I tried to implement my mother in the rearing of Maddie, she's the ultimate mom, you know what I mean? Like I watch her relationship with Maddie, I watch even when Miriam is not here, I see Miriam in her and it's just, it, 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 it's the best feeling in the world. It's like, you know, I, I went to Coachella like the week before last. I, I've never had, like, I've never done drugs, never will. I cannot imagine the, the come down, the withdrawal of not having your dope. Like, 
her and Maddie and not seeing them, I was like, everybody was like, Future's performing. I was like, what? Future? I miss my baby. I miss my wife. Oh my God. I was like, everybody was running around and I was like, this ain't real music. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm turning old. I was like, this ain't new edition. Oh my God, it's Gucci Man. You know? And I'm like missing my wife. I'm missing my kid. And, and you know, this summer, she had spoke to her mom. They're going to Fire Island in New York. And her mom's renting a house and the whole thing. And I hate the beach. I hate being hot. I like being cold. You know what I mean? And she was like, well, we're going to go for like a week or two. And Manny and I, I called her and was like, I'm going to Fire Island. I was like, you're not leaving me for two weeks. I was like, you're out of your mind. I said, I'm going. She said, you know you're going to be miserable. I said, I know I'm going to be miserable. I said, but I'll be with you guys. So I'll be good. So to answer your question, what I love about Miriam, it's pretty much everything. The thing I love most about O'Neill, I mean, I can't pinpoint it to just one thing. Obviously, you marry somebody for a plethora of different reasons. I would say the number one thing uh, that I love about O'Neill is... Um, is his passion. He's really passionate about everything that he does. It could be, okay, I've decided I'm gonna go start doing Runyon Canyon again. He will go do Runyon three times a day. <laughs> Just like I said, once he sets his mind to something, he really sets his mind to it. Um, he, over the years, has really had some ideas and some things that he just wants to do. and. And I, like I said, I'm very fully supportive. And I just, I love that he, all of his zest that he puts into, into all of it. And sometimes we get into arguments because of that. He will include me in it and, and say, can you help me write this up and, and do things? And he'll be like, okay, then do this and do this. And he'll do this. And, I, and I'll be like, stop. How about you do some of it? But then, you know, when I stop and think about it, even though as annoyed as I am, it's amazing how his brain works and just he just wants everything to be perfectly perfect. And then just not to mention, it, I laugh in this house all day long. I mean, I can be so incredibly pissed off at him. And he does something that's just so and it's so annoying because I don't want to laugh and I usually end up laughing but he just brings so much joy and laughter in into this household and you know as cliche as it is he's a fantastic father you know I I knew he was going to be a fantastic father from the minute we started talking about kids which was very early on in our relationship and as angry as I may get at him because we're disagreeing or he wants to implement something into this house that I don't want to or I feel like I'm compromising. He really reminds me of uh, my father. And my father was a Mr. Mom. He was just with us all the time. And he had such a gentle spirit and he is exactly the same way with, with Maddie. And it's it's so fantastic to where sometimes, like, I get a little, like, well, how come I didn't get make her laugh like that? How come she's not so excited when I'm walking through the door? He walks through the door and she just, like, she literally jumps out of her own skin. She gets so excited to see him. Um, and it's just, it's amazing. And so you're then able to be able to, you know, push everything off to the side and realize, like, 
okay, you know, we've got something really, really fantastic here. And it's just going to take a lot of work. And it's always going to be a lot of work. Yeah. But all the great things that are worthwhile take work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you just don't see a castle. You build a castle. Yeah. And I know at this point, as and they always say the first year after you have a child is the most difficult. And... We've made it. We have one more month, but so far we've made it. It's definitely, it's definitely been difficult. But when I do think, I was thinking this the other day in the car when I was so angry at him, but I was thinking we had so many ups and downs for like seven or eight years. And I really was like gung ho. And I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm sticking with this. You know, I'm, I'm despite, you know, the year that I really walked away or so, I really gave it my all. And I figure if I can do that, then I can still do that now. And even though everything is so much more amplified because we're married and have a child, like I'm just not somebody who is going to give up on on us or our relationship. Because as opposite as we are and as opposite in thoughts as we can be, we really have something just super special. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Just you know, you know, we're from two totally different worlds, and that's the the thing about love. You know, uh, you probably would never put us together, but love brought us together, and that's the magic about love. You know, I'm a kid from Lynchburg, South Carolina, the grandson of a sharecropper. You know what I mean? She's from Seattle, and just you know, I did this little picture thing of her grandmother and my grandmother side by side split screen it was like they probably would have never thought in a million years that their worlds would, would intertwine you know and that's and that's the beauty of love it's like and I, I I feel like when I look at Maddie I'm always reminded of that love like she's created through pure love and it's and, and it's and it's magic It's real magic.